Welcome to the author commentary for Star Wars from a certain point of view, The Empire Strikes Back. Here we go behind the scenes with contributors to discuss the creative process behind their stories. A word of caution, these conversations may contain story spoilers. I'm Tom Holler, a member of the Delray Star Wars editorial team. Right now, we're talking to Michael Marici, author of a story called Beyond Hope. Welcome to the story. Yeah, thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, so you chose a really um, interesting both scene in the film as well as a choice of character. Uh, you chose to not uh, to write a POV character during the Battle of Hoth, which is great, and, and a ground soldier, so not someone in a snowspeeder or you know flying one of the ships. Um, but you also chose an original character. Can you take me through what made you decide on that scene, and then what made you decide like, oh, I want to write an original character versus you know, I'm even going to grab a character we see for five seconds on the screen, like Major Derlin or somebody, yeah. and give them a story. Yeah, no, I, it's a great question, and and the, it's totally related because, like, you know, when I've growing up, when I saw those movies, and I'm sure this is a common experience for you, for for so many people that like the experience of uh, you know watching all those Star Wars movies was like so magical and especially those first, you know, episodes four, five, six, there's such a heavy like mysticism in it. And what's happening with Luke and Leia and Vader and the Emperor and stuff like that has like such a heavy fantasy mystical bent that we almost forget like that they're in the middle of a war, <laughs> like a galactic civil war that's happening. You know, so I'm like, well, I always want to explore like, well, what, what does that look like? And I want to see it through like different eyes. Like if we saw that through anybody's eyes, you know, Chewie's eyes or Han or Leia or whatever, like it would be very similar, I think, to the story that we know that we've already gotten in a way. And it's hard to cover new ground through those POVs. But like seeing it through just somebody who's like, you know, we did see that in the movie, you know, there's these like just military, you know, grunts more, <laughs> you know, the rebel grunts who are in that frozen trench who had to been terrible and fighting you know, at walkers, you know, and so it's like, what, what, what was their experience like, you know, and I have to admit, you know, I have to like tip my cap to uh, Alexander Freed, who does these kind of stories so tremendously, you know, Battlefront uh, is a battle that I, or a book, sorry, a book that I absolutely adore. I think it's just, it's just a fantastic Star Wars novel. It's one of my favorites. Um, and so that was a huge inspiration to see how he handled that side of the war. Just like these guys and these people running around the galaxy, you know, under, understaffed, under, um, you know, no resources and making a go of it as best they can. I just, I was always fascinated by that book, you know, definitely upped my fascination in like getting away from that mystical Star Wars and getting into, oh, right, there's a there's a war going on and this is what war is like. Yeah, and, and you do a really great job of like bringing us down to the ground floor of that war, just in the way that you have all these little details in the story about like how ramshackle the rebellion is, <laughs> like blasters literally being held together by more or less space duct tape, or the people whose sights on their blasters are so um, defective that they're basically ornaments rather than anything usable. Um, you kind of do a really great job in this story of giving us a specific understanding of just how like underdog the rebellion is. I mean, heck, you chose a scene where like if you watch the parts of the Battle of Hoth with those the characters or the the area where your character uh, Iman is is stationed, like there's never a moment where those soldiers are winning. <laughs> like, there's a moment of hope for the snow speeders and you're like oh they took down at oh man maybe luke and wedge and they'll like just 
for those soldiers that we watch, like there is never a moment of hope. This is literally, they're just, they are, um, they are playing out the clock. They are down 30 with two minutes left on the clock. Like this, is just, there is no comeback happening. Here. <laughs> and so I was, I was interested to know, like, how do you go about through those little details? Like, how do you go about picking out the important moments that kind of really encapsulate just how undermanned or, or, or under, what is the generic term for that? Under just how underdog the rebellion is. Um, and what, what's important to show there to kind of give us that sense of, of that this is a losing battle. They're not there. There's no way that they're, right. they're actually going to win this battle. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a great point. And that's a, that was like one of the most important things. Cause like their, their job essentially is to everybody cross your fingers and hope we can escape. <laughs> you know I mean? They're, they're just biding time so they can get out of there. And, and that's such a, you know, terrifying place to be. I mean, they're, they're staring down, you know, these, the, the ad walkers that are coming in and that's the contrast I really wanted to play up. It's like one of the, one of the many terrifying things about the empire is how well, you know, not just well organized, but just how they have tremendous resources. They have, you know, the galaxy in their grasp so they can have, you know, all the machinery, weaponry, et cetera, that they need. Meanwhile, the, the rebels has to like work, slip between the cracks for every single thing that they get, you know? And that's like, I want to express that like in the trenches of like, not only do we not have a chance of winning this battle, but like we have to lose knowing that we have, you know, not, we're not equipped in any way to, 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 to handle this, you know, handle this battle. And like, I wanted to, you know, you know, hone in. That's why like I went to Iman's, you know, um, you know, flashbacks of like, he has already done this before. Like he's already fought these terrible machines and lost. Like he knows exactly what this is. And he actually had the resources way better than the rebellion did of like what, you know, back on his home planet, I mentioned like um, that, like he, you know, they were, they were crushed underfoot of the empire and like they had resources, they had better weaponry and still lost or still were just annihilated, literally annihilated. And, that's kind of the different, that's kind of like seeing that through his eyes. Like we've, I've already gone through this. And so seeing that contrast, I think is important because it just kind of shines a light on how terrible the empire is and how terrifying they are because they, not only is because like they're evil and they have Vader and the emperor, but they also have like limitless resources. And you, you talked about using Iman's backstory to help develop that. And one of the other things that that helps develop is um, a really interesting um, discussion about the struggles that Iman has and other characters might have about like, what do you fight for? Um, you know, not, and beyond just like, well, there, there is evil over there and I don't agree with evil. So I'm fighting evil. Like that's obviously part of it, but the struggle about what you fight for and particularly that, um, Iman, there's this this really kind of poignant and really hard moment uh, in the middle of the story where Iman comes from a place where like war was all he ever knew, both for himself and just the world around him. And he actually almost can't process the statement his friend makes about like, oh, well, everyone here is fighting for like what comes after the war is over. And like Iman like actually has like a moment that's like almost like a mental break where he's like, what do you mean? What comes after? Like, that's not that's not a thing. Um so what do you think that by the end of this story, like how is Iman's like how is Iman's thought process about what he's fighting for changed? Is this like such a 
it's an incredible thing to think about that that this soldier who's known nothing but being a soldier and the, the ebbs and flows of being a soldier can't actually fathom this idea that one day he just won't be a soldier anymore or won't have to be a soldier anymore yeah no i mean it's like a weird existential question that i wanted to pose i think about like you know we met we we kind of used the 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 um the story the galaxy always uses the whole you know hope you know we're fighting for hope and we have hope and that's such a like tremendously powerful thing but for some people not that it doesn't resonate as much but it's hard to understand what that means like it's hard to wrap your head around hope for what you know like you know, where I grew up, you know, it, it's like, it, it's the idea of like having something to aspire to. You know, when I grew up, I grew up um, on the south side of Chicago. I grew up in this place that wasn't so great. And it wasn't until I was like in my 20s that like I really knew more about the world and like started to like understand that there was other things, you know, out there, other opportunities, other avenues, stuff like that. So like, if you don't know, it's hard to have something to aspire to. So, so for someone like Iman, like, yeah, he'll go with the flow and he knows right from wrong. And there's that sort of fundamental baseline morality of like, I'm going to do the right thing because it's the right thing. But what does that really mean? And where does that take me? Is a whole nother question. I think that's the thing that he has to kind of process and move through to be like, okay, not only are we doing this just because it's the right thing, but we're also doing this because there's something that we're trying to get to. There's a goal to obtain. And this is what this goal is. And I think that he sees that in the rebellion. He sees like, yeah, these people are fighting and they're almost kind of throwing around this, like, you know, rebellions are built on hope line to the point where it gets almost kind of banal, but there is something to be said about it. And there is something we learned that like, once you get through the hope and get through what the hope is standing for, like this, this, this other side, this kind of like victory and a better place, then you know, oh, okay, this is, this is what this is all for. This is what the sacrifice and fighting with, you know, blasters that don't work and in the trenches and all this, this is what this is for. Yeah. It's, I'd loved, and I'm, I, if I remember correctly, I believe that this was basically in your story from the jump from the very first draft we work on, which is that the title was going to be beyond hope. Uh, and I really love the way that you sort of played off this idea that, you know, this this Rogue One line, which you rightfully imagine, um, and we actually see it in other stories too, has become this kind of mantra throughout the rebellion of rebellions are built on hope, rebellions are built on hope. And it almost becomes a joke for Iman through in the story, this this thing that's like people just repeat just to repeat. And it's interesting that you are almost drawing distinguish this distinction between why you fight and what you fight for. And it's like, why you fight? Well, rebellions are built on home, but it's the what you fight for that's the part that you just mentioned. Like, that's the part that Amon has never been able to see. And that's the part that I think by the end of the story, we get this understanding of he can actually now see to tomorrow. Um, yeah. you know, the, the endless night of of just war after war after war after war um, is the he can now actually see till the next day, which I have to imagine makes it then easier for you to endure these moments where they're like, hey, all of you go out to that frozen ridge out there and uh, shoot at those machines. Don't worry, the gun's completely not going to do anything. Like, I will not even be firing. But just go fire at those for a little while and then like run this way and hope you get back. Um, it's, it's, I mean, it's like darkly funny, but like that is, I guess when you imagine then why so many of the rebels continue to just run out against these impossible odds that you've sort of codified that the difference between why you fight and what you fight for is actually sometimes the thing that makes all the difference for us. Um, what do you think is 
you know, what do you think is Amon's future? Do you think that Amon obviously continues to be part of the rebellion, but do you, what do you think that Amon maybe eventually aspires to, or does Amon just aspire to like, let me get to the end of this? Or do you think that Amon already has ideas about what they might aspire to? Yeah, I think that like, I would like to see Amon, you know, you know, obviously see the, uh, the war through the end. And I think that like, he would become maybe some sort of political figure. I think he would learn, like, it's kind of like that evolution of like, okay, I've taken it this far and brought, you know, I see where to go after the war ends. And now after the war ends, it's probably even the more challenging part is like, okay, now the onus is on us to build the thing, you know, the build the thing that we fought for. And I'd like to think that he'd like be a part of that to like, you know, in the new Republic, keep it going, keep growing and, and seeing, step by step you know that stuff develop because it doesn't end you know with the war obviously the, the it never ends you know the whole moving toward the better tomorrow um is is a is a constant goal it's a constant fluid something that's always in motion it's something you always have to be working toward and i'd like to think that after he learns this and where he came from of like a place of constant battle and, and no hope for, you know, ever ending to a place where, Oh, well it could end and it could be better that he'd learn. Like we have to keep making it better and, and somehow find a way to, to still engage in that possibility. Um, that sounds like a really amazing place to, to land this. So I, I want to thank you for coming to hang out with us today and tell us more about Amon and really dig into this really interesting character who is kind of in this impossible odds scenario. But I think, your story does such a great job of making us understand like what makes someone stand against the impossible odds um, beyond just like the courage they have or the bond that they have for the person also standing with them on the ice shelf. Um, it's a really spectacular story within, you know, this battle that everyone knows so well, we all know by heart. Um, yeah. It's really outstanding. Oh, well, thank you. I, I had a thrill, right? I was thrilled to write it. I loved writing it. And it was uh yeah, it was just really, it was just really neat to kind of see that moment through through different eyes and try to um, try to see what this whole you know war is about and you know give that message of hope in a, in a new and new and powerful way. Hopefully, fantastic. Uh, well, thank you again, Michael, and thanks everyone for listening. You can read Beyond Hope and all of the other stories in From a Certain Point of View: The Empire Strikes Back, which is available now from all of your favorite booksellers in print, ebook, and audio download. Thank you all so much, and may the force be with you.